Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Activate Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Activate. I think that Christmas is one of the most exciting uh, events on the, uh, on the church calendar, at least anyway. And um, I'm just thinking this morning, before we do anything else, let's just give God some praise this morning in this place. Come on, why don't we put our hands together? Let's give God some praise. As we join billions of people around the world that will celebrate Christmas at this time. Literally billions of people that are celebrating Christmas and it is such a significant occasion. And uh, I think that Christmas is one of the most encouraging messages uh, that you would ever hear in your life and, and, and really centered around the fact that God loves people so much. And a lot of people are getting ready to do different things at Christmas, uh, getting ready to prepare for whatever happens in the next couple of days. You may have already prepared by doing a lot of shopping. Is there anyone here today that still has not done their shopping? Consistently, they're almost all men except for you, Ruth. And so, and so uh, you need to do this preparation. You've got a couple days to go. It's going to be a late couple of late nights for you at the shops uh, if you can do it. But uh, a lot of people are preparing. How many people are just preparing their house, just getting ready for guests to come around? You know, so you have to tidy it and get everything clean. And, you know, that, that, that room that you had where you put all your junk that no one ever goes in, it's going to be a room that someone sleeps in. So you need to clear it out and put that somewhere else and just tidy up and, and even, you know, mow the lawns and get the gardens right. You don't, want to, you don't want that judgment, you know. So some of you may even be getting ready to, uh, to go to somebody else's house for lunch and, um, or, or go to someone else's house for Christmas. You might be traveling and you're going to stay with someone else and uh, you need them to be the ones that take you in and look after you. This happens a lot at Christmas time. And, uh, you know, if, if, that, if you are in that position today and you need a room to stay at Christmas, you would not be the only one. In fact, it probably doesn't escape your attention that um, uh, Joseph and Mary, they, they were in the exact same position as you. And, uh, and they needed a room to stay somewhere at Christmas. And so this morning, I want to preach a message to you called A Room at Christmas. A Room at Christmas. So Christmas, for those of you that might not be aware, is the beginning of God's answer to our biggest problem. So your biggest problem right now, the thing on the forefront of your mind may be that you don't know how to cook a seven kilo turkey. You know, maybe that is your biggest stress right now or the fact that the house is not clean or whatever. These are not your biggest problems. No, in fact, your biggest problem is really this thing that we call sin. It's a major issue for the, for the human race, for people. And the reason it is, is because sin separates people from God. And the scriptures are really clear on this. It says, that because it separates us from God, there is a penalty also to pay for this thing that we call sin. It's a penalty that none of us want to pay. The, the Bible says that the penalty of sin is death. And so, you know, that is not an overly positive thing. And we need to deal with this issue called sin. And it probably doesn't escape your imagination that for many years, or maybe your mind, if you have come to church on a regular basis, that for many years, people, humanity tried to deal with this issue called sin and we were just not good at dealing with it. So Christmas is the beginning of 
the answer, the beginning of the solution to our biggest problem. If you're new to church and you, you don't know what sin really is, just really quickly for you, uh, sin is not just something that you did wrong or some area of failure in your life. The truth really is, is that all of us have this problem called sin because none of us are perfect. You know, if you feel like you're sitting in church for the first time in a long time and you feel guilty and you've had, because you're like, well, that's me, I've got stuff wrong in my life, just be comforted by the fact that the person on the left of you and the person on the right of you and the person speaking to you, that we all have this same problem. And yet Christmas is a time when we see that God wasn't willing to let that problem exist any longer. And so we are going to dive into this story right now. So what happened in the what we call the Old Testament, this is where the, the Bible really begins, is that we recognize really early on that there is a problem called sin. And there were people in the scriptures that would look forward to a time in the distant future when God would look to deal with that problem, that issue that we've got in our life. And uh, we're going to read one of those right now. And it comes out of Isaiah. And so I'm going to read this to you from Isaiah chapter 9. And it says this in verse 6. And this is somebody that was writing well before Christmas, well before Jesus was born. They were looking forward to a time in our future when God would deal with that issue. It says this in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. It says, For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. Isn't that interesting word there, government? You know, like when a government is in power, they set the rules. They set everything that's going to happen and unfold in the, in, in, in the culture in which we live quite often. It says there will be a, a new government that will be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. That might be a newsflash to someone here today, that he is a wonderful counselor. If you don't come to church very often, maybe you thought he was a terrible judge. It's interesting that when it comes to the time of describing what this child would be like, it doesn't say, he will be a terrible judge and he will make you feel guilty and he will get all over your problems and remind you of your sin and your issues. No, it doesn't say anything like that. It said, no, 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 no. He shall be called a wonderful counselor. I am so glad that he is a mighty God. He is an everlasting father and he is, and I love this, a prince of peace. How good is that at Christmas time that he is a prince of peace, of the increase of his government and of peace. There will be no end. I love this. It goes on to say, on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The Bible tells us that there would come a time when this child would be born. In fact, if you read the Psalms, the psalmist writes in Psalm 130 that in fact that Jesus would be a, a child or this child that's born would redeem Israel of their iniquities. And the word redeem in its original language, it means res to restore something to its originally intended and designed purpose. Isn't that a beautiful word? 
Isn't that interesting that what God would want to do is restore people to their originally intended and designed purpose. And he said that he would do that for the nation of Israel to redeem them from their iniquities. Iniquities is not just sin in your life. It's the guilt that you carry from the wrong things that you do. And what God says in this passage through the prophet Isaiah is that he will restore people so they don't have to carry that around anymore. In fact, what he's really saying is that Israel... I'm going to give you a fresh start. I will give you a fresh start. You have stuff that's in your history. You have bad decisions that you've made. You have things in your life that you wish were not there. And I will, Israel, I will give you a fresh start. I'm going to forgive you of all the things that you have done wrong. And I'm going to give you a nation a fresh start. And this is exactly the offer that's on offer to everybody that calls on the name of Jesus. If you are new to church and you were here wondering about that description that I read out where I said that he was a wonderful counselor and maybe you're here today and you thought that he was a terrible judge, you should just know this very important biblical truth which is that he offers a fresh start to people that have issues in their past, have made mistakes and things that they wish they never ever did and yet here he is saying, I know that you've got it wrong. I know that you've made mistakes and what I want to do is give you a fresh and a clean start and that is the beginning of Christmas. That is the Christmas story. And I want to I begin this Christmas story by looking at the Gospel of Luke. And uh, you have this on screen. I just wanted to read this out to you. And the Gospel of Luke begins with a family, right? A family. And I'm going to read this to you out of Luke chapter 1. It says this in verse 5. In the days of Herod, or as my son often calls him, Harold, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God. That's important to note that they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Verse 7, it says, But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. They were old. They were old people. And they had no children. And yet they'd done everything right. The scriptures just said it. They they said that they obeyed God. They walked blamelessly. I mean, the scripture says that they were righteous. And yet, despite the fact that they were righteous, they had no children. And this is something that they clearly wanted. And yet, for many, many years. Why? Because at the time this was written, they were old. You think about a lifetime of wanting children and not being able to have any. And maybe trying to figure out why that's true. Do you ever have unanswered questions in your life? You're trying to figure out why things have not gone the way that you wanted them to go. Why things didn't work out and, and, and your hopes and your dreams, maybe they feel like they've sort of been dashed. Why, th- why is that true for me? Why have I missed out on these important areas in my life? Have you ever tried to figure it out? Normally people will go to one of a couple conclusions, you know, and the most common conclusion, you know, so, some, some places will tell you this and I just don't think they're right, is that the reason why God is not answering your 
prayers is because you have sin in your life. No, no, Jesus came to forgive people of their sin. But the culture that Elizabeth lived in at that very time thought that if you were barren, that it was God publicly punishing you for some private sin that you'd committed. I want you to think about how that would feel for people like Zechariah, who was actually a priest in the temple, and his wife Elizabeth, and the culture that they lived in, people looking at them and saying, okay, well, we see you look good on the outside, but you must be pretty bad on the inside. How do we know? Well, it's just so clear that God is publicly punishing you for the sins that are private somewhere in your life. In fact, that really was part of the culture. And they, they must have thought that. Well, the story goes on that Elizabeth, who had no children, an angel of the Lord shows up and speaks to her husband, Zachariah. And Zachariah hears that she's going to have a child, but he's not sure whether he can believe it. It's just too fantastic to be true. So the angel makes him mute until the time that the child is born. Later on, this is what unfolds in Luke chapter 1, verse 24. It says, After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. That word approach is actually the only time that the Bible uses this word right here in in this context. And what it really means is to take away Elizabeth's disgrace. If you understand what this is saying, it's saying that she lived in a condition that publicly was disgraced before her family, her friends, the people that she lived in. She said, this would take away my disgrace, which means that's where she was at the time until she fell pregnant. And I wonder if you had to live with that, that public disgrace and shame, despite the fact that you were doing everything right and you couldn't figure out why God wasn't working in the way that you would hope that he would. I wonder how long it would take before you got offended with God. Come on now. How long would it take you for offense to begin to creep into your heart where you begin to say, what are you doing up there? Where are you in the middle of my circumstances? I'm doing everything right. You're not answering my prayers. They had no kids. How long would it take you before you began to get disappointed, before you began to get disillusioned? And the thing that strikes me in all of this is that Elizabeth seems to be able to keep this incredible attitude. Why? Because the scripture said that she was righteous and blameless up until the point that she had a child, which meant she lived with public disgrace, even though it wasn't her fault. And she still had to wear that like a jacket around people. And she never held God responsible for it. She kept a good heart before God. I mean, if you've never looked at Elizabeth like this, You should look again because she's an amazing woman. And here she is and she doesn't seem to get offended with God. She doesn't get upset. Oh, I wonder if she had got mad with God about where she was at. If she would have been the woman chosen to give birth to a little baby named John who would later begin to prepare the way for the Messiah to come. Imagine if she had opened up her heart to that offense and started to get upset and disappointed and frustrated with God. She, she might have found that that door of opportunity would begin to close in her life. See, oftentimes in life, you can't control what happens, but you can control how you respond to it. You're not in charge of everything that happens in your life. 
You are in charge of how you personally respond to it. Some of you have family that have caused great offense to you. Some of you have family where you have broken relationships. And now you're going to get together at Christmas. It's like it could be a recipe for either a great thing or a disastrous thing, depending on how your family gets along. We celebrate Christmas because we're excited about it. But for a lot of people, Christmas is a time where they are on edge. Offense has been caused in the family. And now you're going to see that person. Maybe, maybe it's not that. Maybe you're not even going to see that person. And Christmas is a reminder of the rift that you've got in that relationship. You can't control necessarily what they did, but you can control how you respond to it. And when I read this story, that's exactly how Mary responded. She could have been offended, but she continued to keep a right heart before God. And, and, and you've got to understand this, is that if you open the door to offense, you begin to close the door to relationship. You could just apply this every area in your life. You could even apply this in your relationship with God. If you open up the door to offense with God, you begin to close the door to relationship to Him because you might not necessarily want anything to do with Him. And when you begin to close the door on your relationship with God, you reduce the room for Him to move in your life. When I was eight years old, my grandfather died of cancer. And while he was sick, we were all praying for him that he would get better. We are people, my family and I, we are people that believe that God miraculously heals people. That's our confession. That's our conviction. So we prayed for him. And we expected him to live. And he didn't. And as an eight-year-old, I remember having questions. I didn't understand why. I had a lot of questions. I started to pray to God about why things didn't unfold the way that we wanted, to un- wanted them to unfold. And I thought it was bad for me, but as I began to get older, I understood that that didn't come as close to how bad it was for my parents, particularly for my dad. Because my dad prayed and believed that God would heal him And when he didn't get healed, our family left church. And we left that relationship with God. And the reason we did is because my parents, in particular my dad, was just offended with God. And because he was offended, it closed the door to relationship. And so that period of time in our family's history... There was not a lot of room for God to move because we didn't have a great relationship with Him. Do you understand the connection between when you begin to walk away from God and not giving Him room to move in your life? I mean, after all, if you're not in dialogue, if you're not in communication, if you're not talking to Him, then how can you begin to give Him room and space to move? I'm so grateful that God sometimes moves outside of the bad decisions that we make. And despite the fact that we tried to live Him, He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And so despite the fact that that was our attitude, that wasn't His. And so that, 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 that part of our history is kind of locked in there. And I, I wondered, what if God wanted to move in your life, but you're not making room for it because you're afraid of being disappointed? 
Maybe you've had a bad experience, something that you prayed for, that you hoped that God would answer, and He didn't answer it. It wasn't in the way that you expected. And because of that, sure, if you were going to be honest, you're a little bit disappointed with God because of that. And so now, when there comes time for you to allow God to move in your life, you're a little bit more reserved in your faith because you're not sure if you're going to end up disappointed if you trust Him all of the way. You still have a lack of understanding over things that have maybe happened in your past. But let me tell you this. It's not dumb to trust God when you don't understand. It's not dumb to trust God when you don't understand. This is what Elizabeth did. A lifetime of not having children. A lifetime of not understanding why her prayers wouldn't be answered. A lifetime of enduring the shame that came, the reproach that came, the disgrace that came with her condition and her situation. She was old. She was a pensioner. She probably had a special car park at the, at the shops, you know. And here she is. And despite a lifetime of all of this, she said, you know what? I'm not getting mad with God. I'm going to trust him in spite of my understanding of my present circumstances. And that might even be impressive over a, a, a week, maybe. It's maybe slightly impressive, right? But it's remarkable over a lifetime. And so God comes and speaks to another person that doesn't understand. Her name was Mary. And he comes and speaks to her. And the angel, through the angel uh, Gabriel, and he shows up and he says, Greetings, O highly favored one. And she had no idea what that meant. She was trying to discern the reason why the angel was there. And he said, You have been chosen. Let me summarize for you. You have been chosen to give birth to the Messiah. She's like, Well, how would this be? And he says, Well, let me explain it to you like this. Um, The Holy Spirit will overshadow you. All of your questions are answered in that one explanation. How will the baby get? He'll overshadow you. And then when what? He'll overshadow you. Look, don't think about it too much. It's going to be very confusing for you and your mind will go in different directions. Just trust me that God will overshadow you. And then the angel says, with God, all things are possible. I think that's a great scripture straight out of the Bible. With God, all things are possible. And so she believes him. Believing him was the easy part. The hard part was explaining it to her husband. (laughs) I'm having a baby and it's God's. He's like, "Uh uh-huh, really? Like, that's what you're going with. You had time to come up with something better than that. And you've decided to settle on the, God, the, the, ba- the God's having a baby with you. Okay, all right, all right. Mary, you've got some serious problems, right? But then the angel shows up and tells Joseph in a dream. And, well, God shows up and tells Joseph in a dream. Joseph believes this, this story. And, 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 and they're in a town called Nazareth. And so I want to pick up this story here in Luke chapter 2. And it says this in verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius, governor of Syria, was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, because that's where they were, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. That's important to underline, just mentally. I want you to underline that. Verse 5, it says, To be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son 
and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. I want to just clear out this little manger inn thing. The word inn is the same word that Jesus used to describe the upper room when he had his last supper with them. So the inn is a room inside the house, which is a private room, so that because a lot of their houses were just completely open. It was normally just one big room. So it was like a guest room, a function room, a private room. And so because of this particular time, you've got to imagine that all of Joseph's cousins and uncles and everyone, everyone's going back to their hometown so that they can be registered. And they didn't have a lot of hotels. So when they go back, what are they going to do? Well, they've got to stay with some family, right? And so Mary and Joseph, she's maybe a little bit pregnant, so maybe they're a little bit slow. Maybe they're traveling from further away. So they probably got there after other people had arrived, And then he gets there and he's told, oh, there's no place for you in the private upper room that we have. And so when you read the story, you kind of of think that what these people did, which is how I read the story for for years, was that these people saw this pregnant, you know, probably 16-year-old girl on a donkey with her husband. And they're like, we can't help you. And I always thought that was kind of mean. But it's not really how the story goes. In fact, Joseph, when he went into town, all the people, there were a lot of the people that there were his family. And so culturally, if you go to your family and you say, we need a place to stay, you're experiencing this right now at Christmas time. At Christmas time, you remember, it happened first in this story. They're going to stay with family and they needed room to stay. Now, culturally, Just because they were family, they should have been allowed in straight away. In fact, not just because they were family, but also because Joseph was of the line of David. And that doesn't mean much to you, but it did to these people. So what Joseph would really need to do, and I'm going to read backwards here. I have so many skills I don't tell you about, and and this is one of them. So what Joseph could have said is, I am Joseph, the son of Jacob the son of Matan, the son of Eliza, the son of Elad, he could go backwards and trace his family line all the way back to David. And the moment that they realized that he was of the line of David culturally, the people that were in that house would have let him straight in. Do you know who these people are? They're from the line of David. Like I said, doesn't mean much to you. It did to the people at the time. But it wasn't just that. There were also family. There were lots of reasons for them to open their door to Mary and Joseph. And that is exactly what they did. Because when you read this, as Western people, you would not put the animals in your house with hay and straw and all the rest of it. But that's because that's probably how you think. In fact, at the time when this was going on, it was all in the same place. The inn was one room inside the larger thing called a house. 
And in the bottom of it is where they kept the animals. And then there was an upper floor. And on the upper floor, in the back, there was a private guest room. That was called the inn. They said, listen, people have arrived ahead of you. So they have the inn, but we can see that you're pregnant and we understand who you are. And so absolutely you can come in. And so they welcomed them in. And then where were they going to have the baby? They had a manger because you know what? It's just one big room. And that's the only thing that they've got left. And where else are you going to put the baby? So here they are and they're welcomed in. And the point that I'm making is they opened the door to their family because they had a heart for them. And what they didn't understand is when they opened the door to their family that were at the same time welcoming in the coming Messiah. And they would have been totally unaware of this. They didn't understand. It's not the best opener. You know, when Joseph gets to the door and says, listen, you're not going to believe this. She's pregnant and God is the dad. They're like, there's another place for you. You have more family just down the road. You should stay with them. You know, we're not letting crazies in here. You know, but that's not what they said. They said, hey, listen, we need a place to stay. No problem. Just come right in. They welcomed him right into their home. And, And what's my point? My point is, if there's room in your heart, You'll make room in your life. They were already full at the time, but they didn't say, no, get out and go sleep in a cave somewhere. They said, we can make room for you. We'll make room for you in this place. We'll make room for you. If there's room in your heart, there's room in your life. You'll begin to make room. You know, we sing this carol joy to the world. And what what are the lyrics to this? Joy to the world, the Lord has come. And then it says this line, let every heart prepare him room. Joy to the Lord, the joy to the world, the Lord has come. Because that exists and it's real and it's great and it's true. But now, if you want to be the recipient of that message, let your heart begin to prepare room for him. It's not just that it exists, you've got to begin to make room for it in your life. Every heart begin to prepare and begin to make him room. Are you making room for God to move in your life? What are you making room for in your life? Your heart is the doorway to your life. Because whether you understand it or not, when your heart really wants something, you will often make room for it. You'll make room for it because at the end of the day, the truth is that's what you really want. And you can begin to open the door to things that your heart really wants. For example, if you open the door to anger, you will at the same time shut the door to peace. Yeah? You open the door to anger, you begin to shut the door to peace. If you begin to open the door to offense, you close the door to relationship. See, life is often happens this way. We open doors to some things and we don't understand it, but we are unwittingly shutting the door to other things in our life. You open the door to offense with God, you shut the door for him to begin to move in your life. And don't get me wrong, because he can move outside of our decisions. But how many of us know that if we begin to seek him and make more room for him and we're actually hungry for him, that we're going to see a lot more happen in our lives than if we had have turned our back on him because we're offended because we don't understand some of the things that have happened in our world. Let every heart prepare him room. 
If you open the door to offense, you close the door to relationship. And we live in a world right now where people all over the place are shutting the door to relationship with Jesus because they're offended by him. People are offended by Jesus all the time. They might like little, they, they love Christmas Jesus. Little manger Christmas Jesus. Doesn't say anything, just cries, put dummy in his mouth, he'll be fine. What a sweet story. No one's offended by baby Jesus. A lot of people are offended by adult Jesus. They said a lot of things that our culture currently disagrees with and, and, and they get offended by him. This isn't new. This has been happening for thousands of years. The Pharisees were offended by him. They were offended by adult Jesus. They weren't worried about baby Jesus. Baby Jesus did nothing. Adult Jesus, on the other hand, said a lot of things that they wish he didn't say. The Pharisees understood exactly where to find this baby called Jesus. They understood everything about him. They knew where the star should rise. They knew all about that. And yet, even though they were the ones that were supposed to be the most aware, when he came, they were offended. And guess what? It shut the door on the relationship with God because they were offended by his son. You know what's really interesting about this? It's that the people that actually did find him were pagans, We call them three wise men. You just saw them on the news. Three wise men that were probably more like astronomers. And they saw these the star rise and they began to seek it out they say that how did they know that it was even going to happen well because of israel's captivity in babylon they say that they probably heard the stories and so they were searching the skies for the answer and here are the pharisees that are meant to know everything about everything but because they were so offended they missed the entire story and here are the pagans that didn't understand much about anything and yet they saw the star and they weren't that wise they just followed the signs that's what they did and they came, and they couldn't have been that wise because you know what? Here we find them. It took them a couple of years to find Jesus. And when they actually did find him, he would have been a toddler at the time. And they walked in, and they found not baby Jesus anymore. When the wise men showed up, it wasn't at the birth. When the wise men showed up, it was, he would have been about two years old, and they worshipped him. That doesn't sound wise. Have you met a two-year-old? I've had three of them, and I wouldn't even come close to worshipping one of them. (laughs) There must have been something remarkable. We still call them wise, and they worshipped a child. What did they know that we didn't? And so the pagans that didn't understand much but followed the signs still found Jesus. And the ones that thought that they knew better, they missed him completely. Why? Because they were offended. Isn't it amazing how when you're offended, you can miss what's right in front of your face? And I feel like that at Christmas time, the message is right in front of people's faces. And despite the fact that it's in a, I can go to my windows and see little, little baby Jesus again. And we see the story, baby Jesus, and we love the nativity. And it's a, you know, there's going to be carols on. We're going we're gonna to watch the carols on television. And people that don't understand anything about Jesus are going to be singing his songs. And even though the message is right in front of their face, maybe because what he says is offensive, they just close their heart to the message that we call Christmas and they miss it completely. And for me, I don't know, like I look at that and I think it's such a shame. I wonder what doors you have opened in your life and unwittingly began to close without knowing it. What are the things that you've opened up 
your door to, the door of your heart to in your life this year? Do you wish you didn't open? Some of you, even now today, have doors that are open that you absolutely need to close. Maybe it is the door of offense. You have a great opportunity at Christmas time to work through that. Maybe it is the door of offense. What, what, what doors have begun to open? Is, is it the door of anger? Is it the door of bitterness? You know, if you, if you open the door of bitterness, you close the door of ministry. You open the door of bitterness, you close the door of joy. What doors are currently being opened in your life that you, if you had to really think about it, you should shut? Just shut that whole thing down. I say, I don't want any more of this. I'm going to start to be really specific about what I open my heart to. Maybe you are here today and you're like, you know what? I need a fresh start. When I came in today, I thought that everyone that needed the fresh start was the people that didn't know Jesus. I've known Jesus for 20 years. I've just discovered I need a fresh start. Because I've got a bunch of doors that are open in my world. I get angry. I get bitter. I'm frustrated. I'm mad. I've got doors open everywhere. I didn't realize that when I was opening all those doors, I was shutting all the important ones like peace and joy and gratefulness and happiness, you know, and ministry and all of these things. Maybe you need a fresh start today. I'll tell you something about this message. It's never too late to have a fresh start when it comes to Jesus. My other grandfather... He died in 2008. By this time, I'd come back to church. I was a Christian. My whole life, my other grandfather, he never wanted to talk about God. I didn't know if he was offended with him. I didn't know if he was upset with him, but it was taboo. And we never talked about it as a family. Two years before he died, we were having a discussion one day. And he had questions for me, things he didn't understand. And what he didn't understand was keeping him from having a great future with God. And so I began to explain some of these things to him. You know, I explained it to him and I said to him, do you, do you want to give your life to Jesus? And he said, yes. And he said that two years before he died, I'll go you one better. There is a story in the Bible about three people hanging on crosses. In the middle is Jesus. He's got one on his right and one on his left. One of them said, would you remember me in paradise? And he said, right, I'll give you a fresh start. Admittedly, it was a short, short time. Like it was, a, it was a real short time, you know. But I tell you what, in that moment, he was forgiven. In that moment, he was able to shut the door on a bunch of things that should have been shut in his life. And he began to open the door to something eternal, something he would nearly miss out on because he'd opened the wrong door and shut the other one. What door do you need to close? Is it the door of disappointment? You're going to sit down at your Christmas table and have lunch with your family. There is an empty chair at your table where you thought someone would be. Maybe you lost somebody very close to you this year and you're still upset with God that that person's not there. Maybe the reason that they're not there is because you had a fight or an argument. Maybe it was recently, maybe it was years ago, but you know there's an empty seat where somebody should be sitting and they're not there. I wonder what you need to close the door to in that circumstance. Christmas, Christmas. Is God closing the door on our sin and opening the door to our salvation? That is the gospel. That's the gospel message. That God will close the door on our sin 
I know you're not perfect. I know you're not getting everything right. You've made mistakes. There's sin in your life. And yet, despite the fact that you have that, God says, I'm willing to shut the door on all of your sin and give you eternal life if you just understand this message called Christmas. That God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And whoever believes in him will not perish eternally. You'll actually, you'll have eternal life. You need to open your heart to God. Maybe you're here today and you've never really opened your heart to God. There's too much in your history. Every time, every time it comes to the opportunity for you to make a strong commitment to God, your past will revisit you. It flashes before you. The times that God disappointed you, the times that you thought he'd answered that he didn't, the times that he just never showed up and you have questions and you don't understand why and you still want answers to those. And so because of that, you don't make a commitment. But I'm, telling you, I'm saying to you today, you need to open your heart to God. You know, Revelation 3.20, it says this. Jesus said, I stand at the door and I knock. That's the door of your heart. He stands and he knocks at the doors of people's heart. Just can't figure out why more people don't let him in. All he wants for them is what's good. All he wants for them is to forgive them. All he wants for them is for relationship with them. He says, I stand, I'm knocking. Why are you holding out? I'm knocking. Don't you want to say, I want to do something fresh in your life? I want to do something new in your life? I've been knocking. And you're not opening the door to me. See, you don't just want to open the door to him. You want to begin to make room in that in your house for him. You want to start to make some room for God to move. Don't just let him knock. Don't just open the door and leave him standing there. Invite him in. And if you don't have room, you make room. And I wonder about this. I wonder if more people began to make room for God. I wonder what he would begin to do in their life. See, if you close the door of your heart, you might actually miss what God wants to do next. And so he stands. He says, I'm knocking. Would you open? I'm knocking. Just invite me in. I'm knocking, but if you listen to me and if you hear my words and if you understand what I want for you, I'll give you a future that you never thought that you could have, but you just got to invite me in and, and start to make some room for me in your life. Start to make some room for me in your world. I wonder how many people are missing out on what God has for them because they don't understand this part of the Christmas message. You know, if I look back over Christmas... Christmas is full of people that didn't understand what God was doing, but they opened the door for Him anyway. Elizabeth didn't understand. Where was God in the middle of all of my circumstances? Why did you leave me in my pain? Why did you leave me with the reproach of other people's judgment? And I had to carry that shame. But she didn't wear that. She said, no, God, you're still good. I still declare that you're still good. I, I love you. And because of that, what happened? She closed the door to offense. She opened the door to a relationship. She had a little boy named John that began to prepare the way for the Messiah. Mary, another woman, she didn't understand. But God, how will this be? I don't understand. He said, the Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you. Well, I don't understand, but let me open the door for this in my life. Mary goes to Joseph. Joseph says, what are you talking about, crazy woman? You're saying you're going to have God's baby? 
God comes into a dream. Okay, I don't get it either. I don't understand. But God, you want to do something fresh on the earth? I'm going to open the door of my heart to you. I'm going to receive that message. Then Mary and Joseph, there they are. They're trapped. They need a place to live. They go to their family. Hey, we need a room at Christmas. They said, open the door. They said, come right in. Make way for the Messiah to come. See, don't you get it? You don't have to understand everything about your past to open the door to your future. You don't need everything to be explained to you about all the pain and all the grief and the empty chairs and the other stuff that happens at Christmas to open the door to the next move of God in your life. He says, I stand at the door and I'm knocking. Won't you invite me in? And I promise you this, I promise you this, that if you open the door at Christmas, if you open that door, it'll be the best decision of your life. I feel like God wants to do something fresh people's lives today. Would you stand to your feet? I want to pray for you. Hey, thanks for listening to the Activate Church Weekly Podcast. We hope you are encouraged today and we would love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to activatechurch.com.